1: Good evening, good day, welcome back to Spin Rate. My name is Drew Fairservice, and we are here talking about your Toronto Blue Jays. Spin Rate is the Athletics Toronto Blue Jays podcast. And as I said, my name is Drew Fairservice, and I am one of your hosts, and I am always excited to be joined by my co-host. You read her here on The Athletic, Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin, good evening.
2: Good evening, Drew. How are you?
1: I'm good. I keep referring to time, like this is my first episode of a podcast which exists outside of time where we just you listen to them at two and three times speed which again shout out to everybody who does that i think you're all maniacs but if you (laughs) did want to do that if you wanted to listen to spin rate the toronto blue jays athletic podcast you uh at two times speed or three times speed you can do that on some of the little podcast uh apps and 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 players that are out there i would recommend you subscribe to the uh to the podcast on spotify apple podcast stitcher overcast whatever the one overcast is the one that can you can really jack up the speed when you're trying to cram a thousand episodes into your ear holes so subscribe to the podcast if you're on uh, places that allow it hit us with a like hit us with a rating do all those good things we really appreciate it we're having a lot of fun here in the early days of 2021 talking about your toronto blue jays and boy are we going to have a lot of fun today because we have a great guest we spoke to uh keith law prospect writer extraordinaire here at the athletic we talked about blue jays prospects about sleepers uh, and all but really we talked about how difficult it's been to do his job during the pandemic and allow me if i may if you want to read what keith has to say about those things and you want to read what caitlin has to say about the toronto blue jays about injuries if you want to read that amazing story that we talked about last week about uh, pete walker and uh, and matt bushman I think you should go to the athletic.com/spinrate and sign up for a whole year subscription. You can read all of that stuff. You can read my guy, Roshane Thomas about West Ham, which we were how many episodes in and I finally got the first West Ham reference in, so there we go. <laughs>
2: wow. Yeah.
1: Didn't Aren't even you ex- know you were a fan. That's all we are that's all we're going to talk about moving moving forward once they're in the Champions League. This is going to cha- this whole thing's going to change. I'm going to jump on his podcast. And send him over here but anyway okay. theathletic.com. <laughs> that'd be fun I don't that'd know be how fun. much I don't know how much baseball uh, Ra Thomas knows but we'll see
2: I could the teach Athletic, him I could cross over up. I could welcome him
1: absolutely we are uh, I'm some friends and I we are uh, I don't know you know Scott Lewis a former colleague of mine one of the greatest men who's ever walked the earth we are convincing him to become a soccer fan now we're pushing Crystal Palace on him just okay. because it's a nice like middle of the road choice because he, he really is because he's a degenerate and he needs to bet on them Which is so, not that you're, not that people who bet on sports are degenerate. Scott Lewis is a degenerate, full stop. Mm. Nonetheless, theathletic.com slash spin (laughs) rate. Sign up, let them know that you're listening, which I like. And then, uh, and then you're good to go reading Keith, reading Caitlin, reading Andy McCullough, reading Jason Stark, reading Ken Rosenthal, whatever your heart's content. But you know what, Caitlin, I think what we should, what we should do here, we should not beat around the bush, which is what I've been doing, which is kind of the whole thing.
2: Yeah. It's kind of your thing.
1: Caitlin and I are on Zoom, so she, we're on camera, so she gets to see me perform as I'm like moving <laughs> around the space. Got I'm waving my hands. I'm standing up. It's a whole yeah. thing.
2: I'm sitting but down. But enough.
1: You're sitting down. I hope you're sitting down. I hope everyone who's listening to this <laughs> is sitting down, because let me tell you, Keith Law is going to blow your mind. So why don't we not waste any more time? Let's take a little break. We'll come back. We'll talk to Keith Law. And then we'll come back, you and I, we'll talk about Toronto Blue Jays, talk about the front office guys and some things that they've been saying publicly recently, talk about what's going on this spring. We'll do all that on this edition of Spin Rate. All right. As mentioned before, it is our pleasure at this time to be joined by Prospect writer extraordinaire, author, two-time author, including author of *The Inside Game*. He, you know him, you read him here on the Athletic. Keith Law, Keith. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It's good to be here. I was going to apologize for not going into the full subtitle of the book. That's fine because because uh, I, I swear I didn't think SEO in books was a real thing, but obviously it is. They they I, they yeah. go they go off on the subtitles.
3: So they tell me yes. <laughs>
1: So we were talking a little bit off air for someone who writes about prospects and the draft and, and young players, this is a really challenging time. What, uh, what is, what's it been like for you? I mean, you, you, you were still, you still wrote, you know, volumes about uh, the top 20 prospects for every team. You did your top, top 100. Uh, what has this process
3: been like for you this year? Uh you know, or, or the last year uh, combined? It sucked. Honestly, it just, it's lousy. I, want to see players that might since i started doing this sort of job for espn oh my god almost 15 years ago now my big thing was i would see players when i could i always recognized i couldn't see them all i'm one person limited budget only so many days in the year but to see the best guys the critical guys as often as possible and you know there's plenty of years where i'm like you know, I used to, you know, years where, oh, God, the guy who went fourth in the draft, I didn't see him this spring. I hate it. Um, but I've gotten used to it, too. And I also have learned at least, like, feelings are temporary, right? So, like, I get really upset on draft day when that guy goes fourth and I haven't seen him in person. Um but you know, a few days later, you forget about it. OK, on to the next draft, and it, it doesn't matter. But now I had a whole year where I saw nobody in the draft. You know, I saw very, very few guys for the first round last year. Had to do an entire offseason prospect package and saw nobody in 2020 or almost nobody. Saw no pro games in 2020. And you know, that doesn't mean I saw everybody in 2019. So there are plenty of guys I had to write about. Often I had to write about them for the second year in a row, and I'd never seen them. I still get information. I talk to scouts. I talk to execs. I get access to some videos. Some is some is just online. Some I get from people in the industry. For me, there is no substitute for seeing players in person. And it's not even just because my evaluations are, you know, I don't put my evaluations above everybody else's. I weight them accordingly, but I listen to other people. But it is just so much easier to write about a player when you've really seen him and evaluated him, even if I am writing something that differs maybe just from my own individual evaluation from that one day I saw him.
2: It's funny because earlier, I guess last year, I was on your podcast, Keith, mm-hmm. talking about my experience not being able to watch <laughs> yep. baseball and kind of sharing a similar sort of feelings to you, some similar frustrations about just really not being able to do the job the way that we love to do the job. And one of the things you mentioned in that was also not just not being able to see the players, but also not being able to have those in-person conversations. Because as you and I know, um, those are so those are different than zoom those are different than just watching a player um and you gain so much insight not just talking to the player but also just talking to the people that are around the player right and and a lot of people can be more comfortable just saying something to you as opposed to maybe writing it in a text writing it in an email that's also a huge thing that's impacted your work i'm sure it's just not having those yeah. in person conversations
3: oh absolutely whether it's so it's a, the the conversations are different for me when i'm at an amateur game Uh, especially a high school game versus being in a minor league game. So in an amateur game, especially a high school game, we're usually all standing um, or we're, you know, on, on metal bleachers. And so where you're sitting is kind of ill-defined and people move around a lot. And so it is a little bit like a, uh, like a cocktail party at work, right? These are, oh, hey, hey, I saw you last week. Oh, hey, where were you last weekend? Try to say hi to lots of people. Uh, not just because it's the job, but the, like this is the group of people I see over the course of the entire spring, especially the national cross-checkers and scouting directors will run into a GM here and there. And a lot of them just want to chat. They don't even necessarily want to chat baseball, but it's like, oh, hey, haven't seen you in a year. You know, guys will say to me, oh, I heard I heard this, I heard that. How's things going? How's your Oh my God, how's your daughter now? It's the, these conversations are just, they just happen. And sometimes those conversations lead to interesting insights. It doesn't necessarily have to be something I'm putting directly into an article, but it's learned something about, oh, this player's changed this one little thing. Just keep in the back of your mind. Watch him this year. Oh, hey, you're in Wilmington, right? Hey, we're going to come through. Our affiliate's going to come through there in June. Check out this guy if he's still on the roster by that, You just hear those little things that they plant seeds for later. Um, in the minor league games, it's a little different because everyone really, you know, you're in a minor league stadium. Everyone's kind of stays more or less in place. I usually get up to get different angles, but mostly the scouts will just sit in the same spot. But I'll see guys I recognize, whoever I happen to be sitting next to, you just want to talk to them. And often I'll end up sitting next to the kids who are charting, the pitchers who weren't throwing that day. So they're charting, and especially if I figure out who it is, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, you know, sometimes it's literally a matter of height. And I'll be like, I remember being at a game at Lakewood when Atlanta's affiliate was up there. I was like, Uh, That's definitely Joey Wentz because he's like 6'7, right? I'm like, that's clear. I think it was Joey Wentz and oh my God, who was with him? Another of their highly touted prospects, um, pitching prospects. And they were, uh, I couldn't, I knew who Wentz was. I couldn't figure out who the other guy was. I'm like, you're 6'2 and you're writing with your right hand. That's, you're a dime a dozen in baseball. (laughs) But, you know, just to ask them, just, I mean, literally, I think we were watching Sixto Sanchez too. And I was just like, what do you think of this guy? I, I probably phrased it a little better than that. But, Hey, I want to know what they think. They're you know, they're not evaluators, but they see a lot of pitchers. They are pitchers themselves. They see a lot of other teams. Just start the conversation, and kind of see what comes out of it. I try to. I, I rarely go into a, any of those conversations at games with some agenda. I think it'd be pretty transparent, actually. But also, I just want to see where it goes maybe i learned something maybe they get something from the conversation too i think if it's just more natural then you know i kind of want want them to walk away saying oh i enjoy i enjoy talking to keith tonight maybe maybe i'll talk to him again next time (laughs) Uh, that's really interesting because i I was
1: wondering about that i mean you know you've got lots of existing relationships in the game i know you had andrew tinnish on your podcast Mm -hmm. recently someone that you probably know well and worked with so the qual maybe not the quality of information, but the kind of the, the nature of that information exchange might be a little bit a little bit different than someone maybe your 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 relationship isn't as deep with. How how do you do that sort of waiting when, when you're when you're when you're if you hear one thing from somebody and it's almost is that too good to be true or is he trying to you know pump up his own guys a little bit? How much how much of that sort of uh, smell testing do you have to do? So in a typical
3: year, um, every year I do the top 100 and and the prospect rankings for each team, I speak to one executive from every club, sometimes more than one, but the bare minimum is I have to talk to one exec from every single club. Uh, And it's just, Hey, let's run through who your top guys are. I'll call them up. I've got a rough list set up already, Um, but it's, I keep it extremely rough because frankly, if there's, if there's something wrong, if they think I've got a guy in the wrong place, my God, tell me that actually is good because then it continues the conversation. So, those calls are they're often my first step, and then I'll go from there and talk to as many pro scouts as I can, and maybe other executives. Just got anyone I can talk to who saw some players last year. Um, nobody really saw anybody last year, except for instructs, and a lot of teams didn't send their scouts out for instructs. So this year, I ended up waiting the front office conversations, conversations about their own players far more than I ever have before and more than I ever intend to again in the future. I am not comfortable with it. And that's not because I think anybody is lying or misleading, but I've been in a front office. One of the problems in front office is you just like your own guys. You kind of better, right? Cause they are your guys. If you don't like your own guys, either you're, you're in real trouble or you know, maybe it's just kind of not really the job for you. So you do, these are the guys you're going to root for. These are the bo- the names in the box scores. You're going to you know live and die by every night, especially if you're a rebuilding team. So, you know, I I expect people to be fairly bullish on their own guys. You know, that said, there are some people I have longer relationships with, or who are just a little more candid, and and willing to trust me with some information where they'll say that guy's not that good. You know, maybe maybe that, I I wouldn't put him there on your rankings. And you'll never know by reading. I hope to God you'll never know by reading <laughs> that somebody said to me in that organization move this guy down, move this guy out. This guy's got some, you know, he's work very hard. You know, we're having a real hard time with him. That's you know, great information. It can never see the light of day, but I can use it maybe to move some guys around a little bit. Um, you know, I don't have that relationship with everybody. I'd love to get to that point with everybody. Some people will never have that comfort level. Some people w- would consider it um, a conflict for them to say anything untoward about their own prospects, even if they truly believe it to be true. And I completely understand that because I've been on the other side. And I know what that feels like. Your fealty to your organization would probably be stronger than fealty to, to anyone outside, even if that person is a friend. So so I understand. And for each individual source I'm talking to, there's always some little adjustment, some little calibration thing in the back of my mind too. All right, this guy generally likes his own players a little more than the typical exec does. That's neither good nor bad, but it's just something I have to keep in mind when trying to integrate that information with anything I'm getting from other sources,
1: we got more on the Blue Jays on spin rate right after this note from our sponsors.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
2: I have a bit of a, maybe it's a boring sort of process question mm-hmm. here, probably from my journalistic mind here. And I will admit, like, I am not the most organized writer. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't even go into stories with a plan of what I'm going to write. So I'm really curious how you put all this together. So like your package of when you ranking those top 20, then you have several other offshoot um, lists with, you know, guys that missed um, so like all these other different things. So when does that process start for you? So like for the 2021 season that you just released these uh, last couple weeks, um, mm-hmm. when did that start for you? And are you just like the most organized person <laughs> <laughs> to be able to roll them out on such a consistent basis? basis.
3: It's funny. When I was in graduate school at at Carnegie Mellon, um, other students would say to me, we really want to learn your time management skills. I was like, (laughs) time management skills? What? I just kind of, I always thought of myself as kind of lazy. I'm just trying to get stuff done the quickest way possible. (laughs) Minimum fuss. Um, You know, for this, for the prospect package, I started later this year because I knew I could, because I wasn't going to have as many phone calls to make. Most years I would start it about four to six weeks in advance. Like I think the year before the last full cycle, I did it at ESPN. I started right out of Thanksgiving and he gave me a little extra time. And I was finally stuff way ahead. Cause it didn't run until the very end of January. Now this year, the January 4th was the day the kids were supposed to go back to school. Fun fact, they had remote school that week. So <laughs> that didn't quite work out as planned, but um, that was when I started the process. And within the first two weeks of January, I had done most of my team calls, there was always always a few guys you can't catch because they have many camp or other commitments. But usually that's my goal is rip through all the team calls first. And I have a separate file, I create separate word files for each team. And um, with notes where they're in the players are in a rough order, and I have notes on each player, and I'm just t- I'm just transcribing at that point. Doesn't have to spell be spelled right, full sentences, whatever. I deal with that stuff later. It's notes, but I type faster than I write, so I get all that stuff down. Create a separate file for each scout or other conversation after the fact. I also keep a spreadsheet. Um, which always starts out, it's the same thing every year, but it starts out as the list of teams and the people I'm gonna call to track my calls and to make sure and it becomes like a daily guilt thing too. That that cell is blank next to that name. That means you haven't called him yet. So or text, usually I text. And so I do that and then as a team is completed, I will start to fill in the rest of the row. And it's like here's what the type top 10 might look like. I'm not wedded to it, but I can start filling in some names. And once those, most of those teams are filled in, I can start identifying. I'll just highlight certain cells. Like, well, these guys are going to be on the top 100. They're clearly going to be on there. And once all 30 top 10s are done, I can then, um, you know, then usually I have somewhere between, depending on the year, anywhere from 95 to maybe as many as 115 names that I've identified for the top 100 and start a process where I get them into a 100, you know, I'll write 100 of them. Sort, reorganize, sort again and again, and then circulate that to some other sources in front offices who might look at the whole industry and would have some opinions. And all I want them to do is say, that guy's too high, that guy's too low. That kind of information, that's great. It's always fun when one guy says, oh, Joey Bagadonuts is way too high. And the next email comes in, we think you got Joey Bagadonuts too low. He's much better than that. Every year. I will tell you, Bobby Witt Jr. was one of those this year. Got a, got an email that said he should be higher. Got another one that said he should be lower. I was like, you know what, going to leave him right where he is. That seems <laughs> perfect. And now the uh, so the last thing is, um, you know, I'll start. I can start writing the capsules for the top 100 well before the order is done. Um, Emma would probably tell you I, I file the order, the final order later than she'd like, but because I'm still moving stuff around and I'm still tinkering with it. But the big thing I've learned too is as I write the players up, I realize. I like this guy more than I thought I did and should make sure that the ranking also lines up with the evaluation in the player capsule. So I'm really happy to keep moving those guys around really up until the last minute. Eventually, I have to just admit that the clock is where it is and I'm going to stop changing the order. But I want to be able to keep doing that because, again, I want everything to line up. I want for readers to look and say, "Okay, I understand why this guy is behind the player who's right before him and ahead of the player who's right after him. It should really flow. Even though it's not a narrative type of piece, I want it to make sense as they're working their way through the list if they really do choose to read from one all mm-hmm. the way down through 100.
2: See, you you work till the last minute, so that makes me feel better about my own time
3: management skills.
1: Now, let's talk a little bit about the Blue Jays. Uh, obviously, you've written up the top uh the top 20 Blue Jays and uh you also have included a Blue Jays uh prospect that you're looking forward to seeing so that's the most recent piece you you you've uh written was that a player uh Gabby Moreno that that maybe surprised you or or that 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 uh has got a lot of I don't know helium is the word it seems like um he's really kind of like burst not burst onto the scene but as the Blue Jays have kind of developed a lot of a lot of depth at that, that catch uh behind the plate in their prospects, uh, it seems like there's a lot of uh, a lot of good things to, to say about uh, a catcher like Gabriel Moreno.
3: And it was interesting cause in the last year, right? Guys like him, we didn't we didn't get new data and nobody really scouted him. Mm-hmm. Um, he did go to the alternate site, and the Jays raved about how he looked there. Mm-hmm. And I thought I take that for what it is, but as you said, I've known Andrew Tinish. We worked together. So when he – I mean, he was involved, I believe, in signing Moreno in the first place. When he says good things about Gabriel Moreno and he came on the podcast and said more good things. Yeah, I do, I do take that pretty seriously. Um, also, I think it's interesting. You know, I was looking at the purpose of that piece of guys I'm dying to see this year. is Guys, we, we didn't just see them. I didn't see players last year, but I'm not going to say Alejandro Kirk, right? We saw him. So who's left in that system who's interesting? Well, there's actually probably seven or eight guys I really want to see in that system. But Moreno was – kind of one of those sleeper types. I think he was actually my sleeper prospect for the Jays going into 2020 before the season was canceled. So obviously I'll stick with that. Everything that we liked, the industry liked about him a year ago should still be there. But the fact that the Jays liked him enough to bring him to the alt site, were are very happy with what he showed there despite being one of the youngest players at the alt site. Uh, and that he plays such a premium position and is clearly going to stay there. Uh, the more I looked at it when ranking their system, when ranking the prospects in their system, the more I realized this guy kind of does everything we want a young catching prospect to do. And now we just need to see him play. And those are the guys I'm particularly interested in seeing where it's like, this guy might be a top 50 prospect in a year if he just plays, but we're not even waiting for a change necessarily, but guess what? I've never laid eyes on him. And so you know, getting back to sort of what I was saying, there are, there's always going to be some guy in a ranking who I haven't seen because circumstances didn't work out. I remember not seeing Ian Anderson in his draft year, despite the fact I could actually drive to where he, where he was from because first he got snowed out. Then he got the flu or pneumonia or something. And I think he made like four starts his whole spring. Like sometimes it just happens that way. And then of course he goes third in the draft and I'm like, but, <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, part of those, the purpose I tag those sleeper, one sleeper prospect in each organization because readers want to know. That's ty- the type of question I get all the time, which who's a Blue Jay prospect you think could leap onto the top 100? That's where that the idea for that came from. But also I'm kind of tipping you guys off to, you know, the, the readership off saying, this is a guy I really want to see. Maybe it's a guy I've seen or it's a guy I'm really interested in. Well, in the case of a Moreno where I've never seen him, yeah, if I can somehow get to see that guy in the first half of this year, I want to because, in you know, Sometimes it's because I want to see if a player's changed. In his case, I just want to see what he is because everything that's been described to me, everything he's done in the performance data we have, the little bit I've seen on video, all of this points to a guy who's probably going to be a pretty highly ranked prospect and should be a pretty good big leaguer in the near future.
2: One guy that I want to um, move along to, um, who I know is one of your... Um, faves and mm-hmm. it's Austin Martin. And the, the two questions that I get all the time, and I'm not a prospect expert, so I hardly ever know how to answer this. But the two questions that I get about Austin Martin all the time are what position is he going to play in the major leagues? And mm-hmm. when is he going to be in the major leagues? I can sort of answer <laughs> the first one because I think the blue Jays have been playing him at third base. I don't know the second one, but I want your opinion on both those things.
3: So I agree with you. I think third base is the most likely outcome for him. And I've actually seen him play third base. So there could be some kind of observation bias there, but also he was really, really good at third base. Um in, in every way too. the like he was really quick on his feet. And I liked the way he could field the ball, barehanded and get rid of it. And I liked the way he charged in when I saw him, I saw him against Louisville. He was an underclassman. I was actually kind of lucky that I was there to see a couple of different players and, um, he checked a lot of the boxes for me defensively. I walked out saying, that's going to be a guy for next year. I don't know how good he is off of one game, but I liked everything I saw and really thought he could be a plus defender at third base. He could be a plus plus defender at third base. So I feel pretty good about that part. Um, you know, He was a college player out of the SEC drafted last June. I would expect a guy like that in a typical environment to debut in the big leagues either at the end of the following season or early in the season just after that. So he was drafted in the first round of 2020. If he had had a regular summer and fall, I would have said, yeah, he could be out by the end of 2021. He's an advanced hitter who played in the best conference in college baseball Um, and no worse than early 2022. We don't really know how that's going to be changed now. I mean, he's the guy of, of all the hitters drafted last year. He's the guy I would think would be able to move pretty quickly through the low minors, but he didn't get to do that. I'm sure the Blue Jays would have sent him out to Lansing was their low A affiliate at the time. I'm sure they would have done that if they'd been able to after the draft. He was that kind of prospect, and that would have put him on target, maybe to start this year in Double A, and he could debut in September. Maybe they still choose to do that, but I have a harder time predicting because we didn't see any. We would not see him facing any pro pitching last year to get a sense of you know even to get half a season's worth of data to get a sense of how ready he is and how quickly he might move up to. To double A. And obviously I just say that because from double A, at that point you really are knocking on the door. Enough guys go from double A right to the majors that once you're there, you could kind of be called up at any point.
2: Sorry, I misspoke. Austin Martin is actually playing shortstop, shortstop. right Stop. now. Um, mm-hmm. but I think as you say, the future for him sort of looks like it could be third base. I just I wanted so. to correct myself because I heard it after the fact and I was like, <laughs> actually, I remember him saying to <laughs> saying to us on yeah. a Zoom. My position is shortstop.
3: Yeah, and I Um, want to, by the way, I'm in favor of that. Like, mm -hmm. try it. What's the worst that happens? He's not going to be terrible there. It's not like he's going to hurt himself. I don't think he's going to go on the injured list with a case of shame or embarrassment. (laughs) So, yeah, let him go there. And if he plays it competently, maybe you choose to continue the experiment. If you decide, well, he's never going to beat out whoever we think is our actual shortstop of the future, and they do have quite a bit of depth at shortstop. Okay, easy to move him back to third base. He's played that before. I've heard third base. I've heard second base. I actually don't think that's a great fit for him. I think he's it would waste some of his defensive ability. And a lot of people who saw him in college thought he could go to center field. I could see that too. I just happen to have seen him at third base. He has experience there. We've seen him play it very well. To me, that's the safe... Thing to do if you decide short stuff isn't working out slide him over to third and if he looks just really if he looks like he did before the draft you know what we're great just let him go and he'll be a, you know I think at least a plus defender over there the
1: you said something that's really interesting because I'm not a talent evaluator but the way that a third base uh, third baseman comes in on like the slow rollers or the chop chop bunts that to me is like the differentiator that's where as a as a as a Roland acolyte that mm-hmm. is like what well, how by the, the, the manner by which I I judge a third baseman. So it's good to hear that that uh, that Austin Martin has uh, has got at least got your your approval when it mm-hmm. comes to to charging hard like that.
3: You have to be to for me to play a good third base. You've got to be quick off your feet, and a lot of the guys that I've sort of crushed for third base defense over the years. One of the problems they had w- would have was lyrics you just start too flat-footed or it t- just takes you too long to get moving forward. I'm like moving out of my seat here as I do this. But you get on the ball, right? If you're playing like that, if you're expecting to move in or just have to make a quick move in any direction, if you're on the balls of your feet and you've got a little bounce, your, your first step is going to be quicker. Some guys just can't do that. And you know, I don't know enough to say if that's something you can change, but it certainly scares me more if I see a guy like that, especially at the amateur level. It's, He's already flat-footed, or you hear uh, you know hear scouts often say, "Oh, he's heavy-footed," just meaning it's just going to take him a little longer to get started. Third base is such a reaction position that when guys aren't that quick off their feet or don't seem to be ready and kind of bouncing, ready to move in on a ball, it scares me. It just thinks that they're going to be limited, and unless they can do something else exceptional, maybe they got exceptional hands, it's going to be hard for them to stay at the position.
1: It's not yeah, I don't think in my mind it's not a position for fall down range. You don't you don't have to be Manny no. Machado like running into the bull, into the dugout making plays like like he's done. But right. at the same time, you know, Mikel Franco and Vlad Guerrero Jr and Blue Jays fans who would have watched kind of the end of Troy Glass's career, uh, you yes. know, w- willing willing as he was to step over to shortstop and stuff. Ah. It's 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 not quite the same.
3: No. Uh no, so no.
1: I, I want to get just a, a, a your sense of the, of the system as a whole because you know you talk about Martin. He's not unlike some of the other kind of high pros or uh, high profile prospects. You know Jordan Groshans and uh, even even Nate Pearson in a way that mm-hmm. there 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 is a lot of you know error bars on uh, around their what they can be because there's so many unknowns. or so many question marks they've missed time with injuries freakish or otherwise um while while the jays have had a couple obviously some very high profile graduations still feels like there's a lot of talent here but also for me uh, i'd love to obviously hear what you think but there are a lot of question marks in terms of wh- where these top talents could end up
3: yeah i think that's all fair i think the system's great i think mean, it's absolutely great it's funny a couple of years ago the jays front office was bragging about how great the system was and i was like i don't think i buy into that They've brought a lot more talent in the last two years, international side and through two, I thought, really good drafts. Uh, And I think it's shown. I think the system looks tremendous. I think there's a lot of depth. I think there's a lot of upside. I think they have a lot of guys in this system who you could see wouldn't necessarily project them there, but you could see turning into above average regulars. Or mid rotation starters, or something better than that. You know, I think Austin Martin's a superstar. Nate Pearson might be a number one starter, and that doesn't mean they're definitely going to get there. But those are within a realistic range of outcomes for each of those players. But as you said, there's pretty high variance around a lot of these guys, and you could certainly say that with Pearson, who's he's just got a had a real hard time staying healthy. And as much as we've all tried to say, well, this injury wasn't connected to that, wasn't connected to that. At some point, you do wonder, can he just not stay healthy? That just happens to guys. And often it's not that easy to predict other than to say, well, the guy who gets hurt a lot continues to get hurt a lot. I hope that's wrong. I absolutely hope that's not true for Pearson. But I'd be remiss if I didn't at least acknowledge that possibility. We're also talking about a lot of teenage prospects here, mostly position players, uh, who all have pretty significant upsides. Groshans, Martinez, Geraldo, Moreno. You know, a lot of these guys could be stars. These are all guys I think at least have the capacity to be everyday players, um, and that's just within the range of outcomes. And most of those guys I like more than that. But Groshans played for a month, got hurt, and then missed all of last year for the pandemic. Most of these other Latin American signings through Andrew Tinnish's group played a little bit and obviously missed all of last year. And they're so young that the variance around their bats is is all. It's pretty wide. There's just huge ranges of potential outcomes. You know, one thing I'll say, Moreno, and this is true of Austin Martin too. Though, the guys who rarely strike out, especially in a game where right now people strike out all the time, I, I'm a little more bullish on those guys. Um, and they show other things too. It's not just the high contact rates, but the fact that they do show high contact rates. They've shown high contact rates facing you know reasonable caliber of competition so far. Just makes me think. You know, they'll be able to move a little bit faster. They'll be able to jump back into it and maybe zip up a level or two this year because everyone's trying to make up for lost time. And if I were trying to pick out prospects who I think might be able to do two levels or even three, maybe in the case of Martin, depending on where they start him, those would be the guys I'd look at first because I could see, you know, if they send Martin a high A, I wouldn't be surprised if he rakes enough that they're just, we will just move you right up to double A because he's already shown he can make contact face, facing SEC pitching, which was, You know, that's the best conference we've got. It's the best competition he could have faced at his age.
2: I just want to squeeze in one question because I feel like I can never talk to Keith without asking about Alejandro Kirk. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, when Kirk got called up, it was a surprise for all of us covering the Blue Jays. Um, And of course, my first message was to Keith
3: (laughs) to say, (laughs) I remember
2: to say, uh, is, is this should they be doing this is, is is he ready well like did you see this happening and your answer was i don't know
3: yeah <laughs> i was shocked he came he was basically called up from a ball in the middle of the pandemic right there was no we went into this season if you and i had had a conversation on february 1st of last year and you had said to me do you think alejandro kirk could be called up this year i would have said ha <laughs> it just seemed no shot um that wasn't any knock on him, but guys guys like him especially you know cat- very young catching prospects with no experience above a ball, very unlikely that guy gets called up, and not only does he get called up despite all of the reasons not to see him in the majors, he comes up and he's good. I had an executive from another team who saw him you know, joking, like, you know, we had concerns about the body and, you know, should this be a guy we'd consider trading for, et cetera. And then he's, we see him hitting these hundred mile an hour lasers to the outfit. We're like, yep, we're good. We're in. We'll take him. If <laughs> they, they want to move him at some point, we'll <laughs> gladly, gladly take him off your hands. Um, he's fascinating. And he was another guy who really didn't strike out. He still doesn't really strike mm-hmm. out anywhere near as much as you'd expect. And look, I have the same concerns everyone does about the body. Not a lot of big leaguers look like that, and they certainly don't look like that for very long and stay in the big leagues. I absolutely acknowledge that. He may burn very bright for a short period of time, Um, but I saw absolutely nothing from him in the majors last year to make me think he couldn't be an everyday catcher for them right now. Or maybe they do some job sharing things since they have depth at the position and try to ease him in and maybe work with him on conditioning, for example, or just work with him on – he hasn't caught a lot of guys throwing as hard with the quality of stuff that the big league pitchers are because he was in A ball the mm-hmm. year before so i could completely understand them saying we'll pick our spots you know maybe you don't catch pearson every time because pearson's got the you know incredible stuff they the, they could probably figure out some formula for yeah. that to work him in and because you're really trying to develop him while he's in the majors, because I guess it certainly looks like his bat is ready. And I don't know that he's going to benefit at all from going back to the minors at this point.
2: Right. Like, I mean, that was going to be my question in the sense of like, is there, are there pros and cons to just having him in the majors right now? Because like you said, the bat looks ready and he develops a pretty good rapport with some of the pitchers that he caught last year. Some of them were quite big fans of him really quickly. So I just wonder, like, is there is there, isn't more benefit to just have him in the majors at this point?
3: Uh, yeah, I would say yes. Um, developmentally, I think it's best for him. I think it's probably best for the team. This team's trying to win. They should be trying to win, and they are, clearly. Also, you know, getting back to my point about the body and what his long-term outlook might be, I'd be far less concerned about service time with him. Um, he's got a lot to do to show that he's going to be a 10-year big leaguer. Um, or at least a 10-year big leaguer at the level of performance that we're expecting, production that we're expecting out of him this year. So I would you know, think of him almost the way I would tend to think of pitchers. Like We can't predict what this guy's going to be like seven years from now, but we know what he is today. So let's make sure we're getting value out of him today. He can help our club, and it's the right thing for him developmentally. Let's put him on the opening day roster. And he, like I said, maybe he starts 90 or 100 games instead of starting 125 I don't know what the exact formula is for him, but there are definitely ways that they can continue to develop him and take advantage of the fact that it, it, the bat just looks ready. And I, I think if you send him down to Double A AA or Triple A, wherever they would, whatever is playing at that point, there's no benefit to him. And I actually should mention too, the fact that there's no minor league baseball until at least May 4th, mm-hmm. all the more reason to put those guys on the big league roster. Right. So they're playing real games as opposed to, it's minor league spring training, which is you know great for me, but I think maybe not best for a kid like Kirk. Let him go out and play in some real games and continue to gain experience.
1: You can tell that Alejandro Kirk is an interesting player, and you find him interesting because I cannot tell you the last time that I read the word adipose in a sports article, and there it was, <laughs> describing Alejandro Kirk. Keith, thank you so much for being so generous with your time, for being uh, so honest, and letting us know all this really, really interesting stuff about uh, about the Toronto Blue Jays and their prospects. Of course, you can read Keith here on the Athletic, and I would encourage you to head out and get the inside game, bad calls, strange moves, and what baseball behavior teaches us about ourselves wherever. You find your books with very long subtitles. Keith, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. All right, thanks again. Thank you so much to Keith Law for taking the time. A great chat, such an engaging and uh, and fun guy. We were talking, Caitlin and I, Well, I was talking, Caitlin was listening, off air about, uh, I've been interviewing Keith Law and talking about prospects and baseball players with Keith Law for a long time now. Uh, And I feel very lucky to have done so. So I thought that was great. Make sure you go check out those stories and follow him if you don't. I think like a million people do uh, on on Twitter at Keith Law. So, pretty cool, right?
2: Pretty cool. I hope I could get a million followers one day. Although I don't know, I, that might be a, something I don't want to happen. That would be nope. a lot of
1: followers, a don't lot need of that.
2: replies, a Deep,
1: lot of replies, a lot of a lot of trash, a lot of you know. There's a there's a law of diminishing returns in terms of mm-hmm. the usability of that platform when you get to a certain. certain level but uh, lots of interesting things from keith Uh, obviously really interested to see alejandro kirk really interesting to see how young players like uh, gabby moreno austin martin all these guys have a have a lot to um a lot to show uh as as the when the minor league season and the big league season get started should that ever happen (laughs) of course but before the, the season starts before we talk about about what about baseball let's talk about the the, the re- we, 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 met, we teased it last week. We wanted to talk a little bit about the Mickey Calloway situation and Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro's sort of role in it. Obviously, uh, there are a series of very serious allegations against Mickey Calloway, who is still employed by the, by the Los Angeles Angels, it should be noted. But this is something that was called the, one of the worst kept secrets in baseball uh, to the point that Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro have both done media availability, have done individual interviews where they've discussed it. And and you know it, they they feel I feel they to me they felt like they were trying to you know walk between the range ops a little bit sort of thread the line and and acknowledge the the seriousness of these of the of the allegations uh to acknowledge that their belief in the in, in what maybe that's me editorializing but seem as though they they' they are demonstrating belief for the victims while also kind of escaping too much culpability. I don't know what do you think Caitlin? I'm sure you've been on some of these calls where they've made these some of these statements to the uh, assembled press
2: yeah i was on the ross atkins um sort of conference call zoom last week um and you know i think that he did say a lot of the sort of things that he had to say like you kind of indicated he was very apologetic to um the people who felt harassed in the cleveland organization he was apologetic for sort of his failure sh- failure as a leader in that organization to um, not see what was happening, but also just like not put the proper sort of channels or supports in place to have sort of been a leader in that organization where obviously people didn't feel as though they could speak as candidly to him as a leader about some things that were allegedly happening within the organization. So he did um, apologize for that Um he also said that he was unaware of um, the reported behavior from Mickey Calloway. So that was something where um, he wasn't probed too much on that because I think he probably was just going to stick with that sort of line, just saying that he was sorry that he was not aware Um I think that it's probably fair. Um, I think I even wrote in the piece that I did following that call that I, I think it's fair to wonder how he was unaware of that behavior. Um, that alleged behavior, as you said in the sort of intro to this that, and, and our colleagues have written here that it was the worst kept secret in the organization. Um, there was quotes from people within the Cleveland organization that, said like it would be hard for executives to not be aware like that is sort of how much of an open secret it was. So we kind of know all that thanks to the reporting that The Athletic has done. So because of that, I do think it's sort of like fair um, to sort of question what Atkins, what Shapiro knew, if they sincerely didn't know, well, why didn't they know? Were they not looking properly? I see, I, I even posed the sort of question to Ross Atkins during the availability to sort of ask around, um, the idea of if you were unaware of it, is it also a case of 10 years ago? And I would say, you know, more recent than that, that some of that sort of Sexualized behavior amongst men in baseball is very normalized. Um, and so I, you know, you wonder if it's a, a case of, um, just not seeing it, but also just like not even realizing you should be seeing it almost. Um, I, I asked that to Ross and he, of course, said he hoped that was not the case. And he sort of doubled down and said 100% confident he did not know any of that was happening. So, you know, my takeaway from my takeaway from the whole thing was that I think that. Um, I heard from some people that also heard uh, how Cleveland executives handled it, like current Cleveland executives handled it. And I think I sort of heard the general idea that, um, Ross and Mark Shapiro handled it better. I think they probably took more ownership of it, at least their own culpability in it. Um, I don't know if we necessarily should be, um, you know, celebrating or, or patting anyone on the back of who handled like this, this kind of apology better, but, I mean, that would be one thing that they didn't sort of fall back on some th- sort of the, the lines that people can say, like, there's an ongoing investigation. We can't comment. You know, they didn't fall back on that kind of stuff. They really did at least say, um, some things, um, with some sincerity. Um, but yeah, that's my takeaway. I mean, what was, what was your takeaway as someone who just sort of watched it and, and like I have a different maybe perspective because I'm on the call and I'm asking the questions. What was your takeaway from it?
1: Well these things are all sort of related and while Mark Shapiro uh, and, and Ross Atkins can kind of again walk that uh, plausible deniability line where maybe there's not a direct link some of the, it would be difficult to prove quote unquote that they knew or didn't know so they're going to say the things that they need to say but I also think that your your point about the the atmosphere and the the environment and the culture within baseball that that empowers uh, someone like Mickey Calloway to to do the things that he repeatedly has been accused of doing. And also for the people like Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro to have not taken the initiative to care because, and we could say at that time, because obviously there have been a lot of changes in, in this, this, um, some of the what I don't I hate to use the you know, the cover of Me Too or something, but we're having these conversations now when we wouldn't have been having them then. But I don't think that that's not a good excuse. It's more of the there was no advantage to them knowing, and there was no impetus for them to seek to know. So when Ross Atkins is quoted, I think I don't know if it was a Newsday story or New York Daily News or some like one of those raggy mm-hmm. New York magazines that that. Quoted Ross Atkins and he was giving these glowing character uh, uh, references for Mickey Calloway, which is like, okay, again, not that I think that I don't I hope that that Ross Atkins isn't so callous as to have known and still been able to do those. But in my mind, there's no advantage to him seeking that knowledge. So it just was never sought. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, it was so, it was so part of the, that, that culture. And, and if, and if a, a, everyone is laughing it off and these people are going like, oh, it's the worst kept secret in the organization for them not to have taken seriously is an indictment of, 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 of their, the, the, you know, the entire culture and, and the, the kind of inability to stand up and do the quote unquote hard, I keep doing quote unquote, doing the hard thing by asking difficult questions and putting people that you know and trust and like on the spot or, or asking people and trusting and believing when, when, when victims tell you that they've been victimized, when people express to you that like, I was very uncomfortable with this or, or some of the other stuff that, 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 you know, is, is, is as plain as day now, but when there's no advantage, there's nothing that there's no advantage because there's no penalty for not knowing it really, it really makes it, it just puts a bad taste in, in your mouth. And, and uh, if you're a baseball fan and you're watching this, you know, that, that, or you're thinking about this, you're hearing all this and you're listening to Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins sort of, again, kind of lean into it a little bit without coming all the way out and saying like, yeah, we, we knew, but what are we going to do? You know, it was a different time that would have been maybe e- easier or harder, but it, it's, 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 it's no solace if you're a baseball fan who is, who is expecting better. And while you, you can say, well, they could have been worse. Atkins and Shapiro, as 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 individuals, as as men, as leaders in in, in their organization, could have done so much more. They also could have done less. So, I mean, that, and that's that's the really tricky part about all this, where where fans are. So many fans, if if this is the you know, it doesn't feel like this is the thing that's going to push you out the door like as as a fa- as a fan of of a professional sports team as someone who is who has is cursed with the knowledge of how of all this stuff that goes on beyond you know outside of those the white lines if you're still on board now i can't see this being the thing that pushes you out the door and that doesn't mean that it's right or wrong it's just kind of like as fans you're kind of used to turning the other too many too many fans we, we're used to you know, turning a blind eye, just kind of eating a mouthful of shit and then moving on being like, well, you know, it's full of scumbags. But boy, I like watching them sock dingers. Like, it's just it's just another thing on a very large pile of regrettable experiences and and, and thing in, in, you know, another indictment of the culture that surrounds this game. And so many like it.
2: Right. And certainly if you're a woman, it is one of uh, another sort of uh, among the list of things that makes you feel sort of unwelcome, not just in. The sports world and the baseball world and a lot of these different worlds right and so um it's i think you're correct i think people aren't going to be you know turn away from baseball necessarily because of it but it's just like another reminder um if you're a woman that this is not a space that you are welcome in and i think you know looking ahead moving forward we have to see what the Blue Jays do from here. Um, this, you know, the Blue Jays are concerned with the Blue Jays now. Mark, um, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins work for the Blue Jays organization right now. So, um, they no longer can do anything about the Cleveland organization. They can only sort of look ahead, make the Blue Jays a better organization. And during that same press conference that Ross spoke, um, at length about also, um, you know, hiring more women, he talked about how that's, Something that has, um, you know, been on his mind for a long time. He talked about how it's been sort of a passion of his for, um, to hire more women in, in baseball. And, um, we'll see if the Blue Jays do that. I mean, like they, um, they, they've been sort of reassessing their organization over the last year with all the sort of, um, social movements that have happened. You mentioned like Me Too. There's also been like Black Lives Matter. They've sort of had to like reassess the way that they hire, the way that they have their organization, um, you know, like diversi- diversifying hires. So I think that's something that um, I want to be mindful of, you know, w- watch how the Blue Jays um, grow from this, um, see if they follow through, hiring more diverse hires, um, having more women in the organization, um, you know, having women in the organization. To not to be um, solely responsible for teaching men how to act, because I don't think that that is the job of women to do. Um, but certainly just having more women in the organization just gives um, a baseball team a more sort of well-rounded understanding of the world and a different perspective. And that's obviously only going to help an orga- organization grow.
1: One of the big things I think that uh, we've said about the Blue Jays and about Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro since they've come on board and, and, and I, it's clear in, in almost everything that Mark Shapiro does, you know, for, for better or for, for worse is, is the professionalization, you know, the corporate, the corporatization is another way to look at it to make the, the Blue Jays operate more like a, you know, what, Fortune 500 company, whatever, with, real rules and real diversity and 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 just appreciating the diversity of opinion and not just have it be this guy's son and this guy this ex-player and this whomever else and sort of getting away from the mom and pop which again there are, i'm sure there are some folks who are listening to this who who, who don't like that and and i understand that sort of corporatization of, of sports has a leaves a bad taste in some people's mouths but but to modernize your organization no matter what it is that they do to to value the a diversity of, of voices to 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 not reward bad behavior to ask uncomfortable questions and and the and the ultimate test I think of the of a, of a sports organization is are they willing to do the hard thing which is do something that might make the on-field product you know that much worse and and maybe we don't hear about those the, the those kinds of decisions and maybe they do they they have been making them and and and, and you know the I think the Roberto Osuna is an example of something where the Blue Jays did you know the bare mere minimum, or, or 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 slightly better, when it came to when it came to that situation, which was they recognized that this was now a player that they did not want to be part of their organization. They didn't just cut cut him free and send him loose. They still did made baseball decisions around that, but i think i think that's a good point i think it's a good place to maybe move on from this conversation too which is to to hope and to watch and to hold accountable the the the, you know the men who are at the head of this organization who are saying about saying all these things about how they want to change and move this culture forward and then and hopefully that they're able to do so and hopefully they're able to do so with more than just their words but with their actions and and inevitably if they make better decisions and if they follow through the organization the company the people that work within it and the fans who who are supporting it passively or otherwise uh, will benefit hopefully as well we'll be coming back with more spin rate in just a second but first check this out
0: Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply.
2: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for...
0: Happy Go to your happy
1: price. Priceline. Spring training games are happening, sort of. Yep. Uh, they're happening. We don't really get to see them. I don't know. I, I wrote something. Uh, if, you, if you're if you new to the show, I write a newsletter. You can subscribe on Substack at fairservice.stubstack.com. And I wrote about how this spring has something we talked about last week, which is like it's the least spring, but also the most spring training. Spring training.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When, when you're when you're watching games or watching box scores or whatever, how much stock do you put in the things that you see right now?
2: Well, um, the other day, the Blue Jays. I don't know if you were at work or you know doing your job, uh, your day job. Um, but the Blue Jays had a Twitter, or I think it was a feed on their website or was it on Twitter? Um, I, think I think it was, it was all of the above. Yeah. Okay. So whatever. So they set up a camera, um, probably a camera that existed already, maybe in the stadium somehow. Um, no sound, um, no, commentary obviously just um a video feed where you could see the pitcher and the batter and then there was like a tiny little screen where you could you could see the field but really it was so small that you couldn't really see what was happening so you could kind of see like the pitcher and the the hitter um and that sort of um interaction but then when the ball was put in play it was very difficult to see what happened with the ball or, or you know what what ensued and you'd have to kind of like correspond with your your open game day or whatever but it was something I think there was some um, fans that were happy to see um and I don't know moving forward uh how they're going to use that I think coming up there's some games on Sportsnet soon um but The I don't know what their even their next home game is, but um anyway that camera is an option. Um, how much? But your question I'm not even answering. But you, I think you asked something along the lines of of, uh, (laughs) about how much, (laughs) how much stock I put into um, you know the numbers and um, you know not much really. I, I sometimes mention them, but I certainly wouldn't write like a whole story based on maybe a guy who had you know six strikeouts or whatever I might mention it um you know the thing about this Blue Jays team I was saying this I've, I've probably said this before I was saying this to someone today and I don't Really? Oh, I was I was on another podcast of competing podcasts. Um, and they were asked the effectively wild podcast from Fangraphs. We did it was a basic um, Blue Jays preview. You can listen to me on that. It's out now. But um, you know, we were kind of talking about uh, you know basic spring training kind of preview type, sto- uh, type story type storylines, and I was saying that there's like. Not really that many roster competitions going on with the Blue Jays. It's really only like backup catcher, maybe like an extra, like a, the fifth starter now, especially if Nate Pearson's gonna be out. Um, but there's really not, and like the, the last guy in the bullpen. So, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking at the numbers, it's just, you know, a lot of these guys have their positions set. Like, there's not really a guy that's like really trying to like, win himself a roster spot because there's really not any open roster spots so i think especially this year i'm not paying attention to the numbers just because they're really not dictating what i'm writing about like they're really Mm -hmm. not dictating my storylines um i'm sort of focusing on stuff where it's like getting to know this new um player they added or like you know doing more different features like the ones i did on pitching and all that kind of stuff so um i think it it's case by case like it depends on the year like in other spring trainings if there was a roster competition you're probably looking at that guy's performance a little bit more but this year around the blue jays like the you know the there's some minor competitions like i said um and you can kind of guess and those would be the only guys that i'd maybe look at the numbers but certainly not overwhelming my content
1: yeah i think you're right i think the thing with the blue jays right now is more about how do people look and and how is it going to impact the amount of playing time or realistically where they end up getting that playing time uh, the the real ongoing theme is 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 flexibility. Oh, well can Lourdes Gurriel Jr play first base or like, can they move him back to the infield which I think uh, I'm not sure who wrote it. I saw it was in the star today but it was something Mike, like I
2: think it was Mike Wilner, right? I think right? it was
1: I Mike Wilner. It was yeah. like, well like just let them give him a job and let him do it. Yeah. It's great to have it's great to have flexibility but and, and 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 I think it relates back to, you know, the thing that I'm going to talk about which is Vladimir Guerrero Jr, which if you're a Blue Jays fan or or a reporter and you and you're watching it, you if if he's up there and hitting home runs every single time up, that's awesome. Those are the kind of things you're going to key on. Those are the kind of things you're going to you're going to watch for. It's been a lot of talk early on about Bobichet's selectivity. Bobichet's not swinging out of his shoes at every pitch that's thrown in either batter's box or over the plate, whatever it might be. Um, and, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, the same sort of thing, where he's not knocking the cover off the ball, but he looks like he's he looks comfortable at the plate. People are still, you know, when we spoke to Matt Gelb of the. Uh, who covers the Phillies last week, Um he was like, he looks really different. So those are the things that you like to hear. But at the same time, when I think about spring training, so while maybe I've been a little glib about being like, who cares? I don't need to see any of it you couldn't keep me away from my computer last week when Shohei Otani pitched and I was watching every single pitch and I'm breaking them down and you're and you're and I'm watching him and because because there's he like some of the members of the Blue Jays there's so many unknowns there's so many variables there's so many so much variance as as Keith uh Keith Law said when we spoke to him today but you know oh okay well now Otani's throwing strikes and he's throwing 98 99 and he's throwing that splitter that's embarrassing people and it's just like that's so easy to get excited about if you're a fan if you work for the club whatever it might be and and while there aren't there isn't quite that i mean if Nate Pearson was healthy that we might be at that s- a similar point with him because you know we saw so many different versions of Nate Pearson even just last year that first uh it was an exhibition game when they restarted the season and he pitched at Fenway Park and that was the same sort of like scrutinizing every pitch and watching him really struggle for the first like three or four batters and then just mow people down I would love to have the opportunity to to do that right now to to hone right in and watch every every outing and be like is he is he forcing it is he aiming is he hitting his spots are they are, are hitters off balance you know pretending like I know what I'm talking about all those sorts of things that I love to do but uh but we haven't had that and and you know, because it is still spring training, it's early in spring training, what we're getting is the over the of the abundance of caution kind of era of spring training or stage of spring training where Pearson tweaks his groin, he's out for two weeks. You know, he's doing long toss, but not gonna be on a mound. George Springer's only how many has he played twice, I think, so far this spring, like not gotten a lot of action, you know, bit of a bit of something in his side. Okay, set him down, you know, no need to run him out there in the sun and and make it worse.
2: Yeah. Uh, the, uh, recent word on George Springer was that he went through a workout, seemed fine. But uh, again, it's, there's still more days, um, left. I think something like, I don't know how many days of spring training is left 20 more than 20. Um, and, uh, so, uh, they're going to be cautious, but you know, back to Nate Pearson, I think that that is sort of like the, the storyline that has emerged right now. I think that it's probably fair to say that he is questionable for the opening day roster at this point. I think obviously the blue Jays would prefer to just like have him fully stretched out. Um, and so whether they'll have time to do that before opening weekend on April 1st, um, I think you're probably – it's pretty tight. So I think at this point, it looks like they'll need to have um, another starter start in his place. I mean, the early sort of prediction is that it's going to be Ross Stripling, which is sort of like what you got a guy like that for. The Blue Jays traded for him last year. uh, One of the, like, benefits of – Training for him is he had control uh, or, te- you know, team control. I mean, so he was he's under team control for the next couple of years. And um, he's also that versatile guy. And he's, you know, one thing that he's talked a lot about um, is that he loves being that versatile guy. And I think that that's um, – I don't know how unique it is because I'm not sure how many sort of pitchers I've talked to about this. But generally speaking, most guys, they're um, – their desires to be a starter, especially if they have the ability to start. Um, And Ross Stripling, when he was with the Dodgers, he really did both for a lot of time. He was a swingman role. He would start, he would come out in long relief. He did these different things and he sort of learned to embrace it. Maybe that was partly just like being on the Dodgers and sort of knowing like, this is how you're going to fit on this team. Like they have so many um, capable starters that, you know, it's really hard to crack that rotation. So he kind of just had to embrace that. But you know, back to, that's why the Blue Jays got him, right? So like, he can start, um, he can come out in long relief. He seems to be embracing that, um, that role. And I would think that he'll probably be the fifth guy, another guy that's sort of impressed early in camp. You're talking about like not paying attention to numbers, but. I think Steven Matz has had now two scoreless outings. Um, and I don't know how many strikeouts, but it's quite a few strikeouts, five or six, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, you know, he's been a guy that like we really weren't sure what we were getting. He was coming off a year where really wasn't happy with his stuff. Um, and early he's looked really good. So, um, I think he was sort of like the, the guy on the bubble before, like he was probably penciled into that fifth spot, um, and probably had the inside. Lane on it. Um, but you would not, never really know how he was going to perform in spring training. But I think he's kind of sort of like um, solidified a spot. And then I think you would see sort of Ross stripling in that fifth role while they wait for Nate Pearson. Just because then the seam you can seamlessly move Ross back to the bullpen. And he's still kind of stretched out because he's going to be that – long guy, that bulk guy. Cause another conversation for another day is like how the Blue Jays are going to do their pitching staff. Cause I'm sure there's going to be a lot of creative ways.
1: There, there really is. There really are going to be a lot of bulk guys. There are going to be more bulk guys than there are guys who are, who you are going to go and expect to take them out the, the ball every fifth day, um, and, and give them, you know, six or, seven innings like the, I, that idea is hilarious to me now because even even you know Hyunjin Ryu is, uh, is a great pitcher but like he's a he's a bit of a low-key five and dive guy a lot of the time but uh, that doesn't mean that he's not great because he, he pitched so, so well last year and I is expected to pitch well again this year but I think that that the point about you know stripling and 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 uh, and mats and even Robbie Ray you know the kind of numbers we're getting right now is that these guys are filling the strike zone which is always occurring especially Robbie Ray throwing a ton of strikes whether or not they're getting hit or getting swings and misses, however you want to kind of parse it, it's, it's good to see them pitching well, full stop. It's good to see that if they're, if they're able to get to, to throw strikes and to throw quality strikes, I guess. But again, these are the things we don't know. All we get back is like math pitched two innings and nobody got on or, you know, Robbie Ray threw 26 or 28 pitches in the strike zone, which is like awesome because he usually walks the ballpark. So, so that there, there's a lot of that. So hopefully that spring training rolls on. We'll have more opportunities to see more of these, of these players to hang, as I said, hang on every pitch. Love to see Nate Pearson get out there. Obviously, because he's really, really fun to watch. The Blue Jays have a lot of a couple guys now who can really throw a lot of strikes and, and can really make hitters look bad, which is fun. Uh, Robbie Ray's a big strikeout guy too, so you know if he's if he's throwing the ball effectively and, and is getting these high quality strikes, and if Steve Matz is a little bit of a free money situation where you didn't expect to to have a, a an option like that, and if he suddenly has rediscovered his form, if if uh, Pete Walker and Matt Bushman have worked their worked their magic together with the Blue Jays player development team, which I read so extensively about recently, <laughs> a, a lovingly crafted. <laughs> Story is that too much? Am I going too much? Is this little... is this show turned into like full time advertising or what these days? Ooh. Like, cringe. Uh, but anyway, uh, but this has been great. You know what? I don't think I think we should quit while we're ahead. I don't know. What do you think? Is there anything? Uh, the, the one thing we have we haven't talked about, and I like. Oh god, I'm almost. I don't want to start now because it will end up. We're already like at a pretty good running time here.
2: Yeah. But should we the, tease? Like last week we teased. Uh, topic.
1: Well, you see, it's hard to tease the topic of like true loathing for the Texas Rangers organization as they have mm. decided they're going to open the stadium up to everybody, sell all forty thousand tickets for opening day, which is against uh, your Toronto Blue Jays, which yes. is so wild. Now, I don't even know. I think it's easy for, especially if you are Canadian and you are and you are in Ontario and you feel as though. You're more likely to die of old age, and you are to get of the, getting the vaccine. And a lot of places, especially in the United States, because of their domestic production, they're getting a lot more shots into a lot more arms. So maybe it's not quite the horror show that it feels like to a Canadian, where if you are like Caitlin and you live in the city of Toronto, or you are like 1.5 million people who live in Peel Region, uh, who which is served the best social media uh, in the entire world, <laughs> but you've been in lockdown for three months. And the idea of going to a baseball game while exciting seems like another planet to you right now. And now they're like, oh yeah, they're going to be sitting shoulder to shoulder, you know, butts to nuts, watching the Blue Jays and the stupid garbage Rangers on opening day, which, I mean, I'm trying so hard to imagine a world where that's not like just a super spatter event waiting to happen. Uh, and I'm failing. But, but maybe, maybe the good people of Texas know better than I. I'm sure that they do. The the, the I'm sure. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm, mm. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to not be a dick about it. But man, does it seem like a bad idea.
2: <laughs> we can revisit this topic. I mean, like you said, the Blue Jays will be playing that home opener. And, and so we will have, I assume, an episode uh, in and around that very game. Um, and we can dissect it then. All right. Uh, but – you know stay tuned stay tuned you got some of it out which I got feels some of it like out. it we'll was see. good it was good for you
1: here's and what it can do here's what i can do in the interim is i can maybe try to do some research i can see maybe i can find out what kind of like public health situation they got going on there in uh, in Arlington the Dallas Fort Worth area like what kind of what kind of numbers are we talking about people getting shots they have another couple weeks that's just i mean they're vaccinating thousands of people a day in a in an area like that uh, you know a lot of the people that i know who have spoken a lot of people that i know who i've spoken to about getting their vaccine have described the, the process as really easy painless in, in the united states in particular in canada too it's just you got to be 80 to do it uh, for us right now where there's a much larger percentage of the population that's that's being vaccinated down there so if it maybe could be feasibly not so nightmarish then i'll say so but in the meantime why don't we take a break, or not take a break? Why don't we say goodbye? <laughs> take, take a break for a whole week.
2: Take take a long break.
1: Take a very long break. Uh, Caitlin, thank you so much. What, uh, so you've, you, we've talked a bunch about your story. I think I feel shameless in the in the plugging of it. What do you got for us this week? What are you doing yeah. next? That's the uh, fun part about your job.
2: It's going to be hard to live down that story. It's been praised for two straight episodes now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what do I have coming? I have some player sort of profile features coming up. Um, lots of news and notes coming up. Um, but yeah, I think I'll have a story on Kirby Yates coming up, um, in the coming days and uh, another piece on Rowdy Teles in the coming days. So look ahead to those.
1: I'm a sucker for a good Rowdy that story. He seems like one of the good guys, uh, which I, now that I say, God, he'll probably be embroiled in some kind of horrific controversy because uh, well, men, they are the garbage. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us, me, as we do every week. Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, as Caitlin said, you can listen to her on Effectively Wild. Thanks so much for Keith Law for joining us. You can listen to the Keith Law Show. As we mentioned, if you haven't already, he spoke to Andrew Tinnish. It was really cool. Go back, listen to some of the older episodes of Keith Law Show. And apparently Caitlin was on it too. My God. A while ago. A while ago. So listen to Keith's show. Listen to Effectively Wild. Uh, read Keith, read Caitlin. read me if you can, if you want to. You can get a little email into your thing. But uh, take care of each other. Be well. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. It's, it's coming soon. The regular season is coming soon. So we will talk to you next week on Screen